Welcome to the Aging Gracefully podcast. I'm Mary Thompson. And I'm Janae Anderson. Join us as we explore the myths, beliefs, and realities of aging to empower each of us to thrive on all levels, every moment of our lives. Mary, my dad passed away at a fairly young age, in his 70s, of Alzheimer's. You know what I discovered? What's that? I discovered that my mind jumped in and started pointing out evidence for how I was getting Alzheimer's. I would misplace my keys, and my mind would say, oh, that's the starting phases of Alzheimer's. I would forget a word, and my mind would jump in and say, yes, this is what happens when you have Alzheimer's. And I just noticed how my mind was picking up the pieces in my life that could possibly point to Alzheimer's and making it this evidence-based, almost a project to prove to me that I was getting Alzheimer's. Isn't that funny? The mind's a big bully. It can be. When I think of, when I hear that story, I'm reminded of a time, I was probably 20 years old and out on a date. And we came back out to the car and we were standing on either side of the car and the key wouldn't fit. And Hmm. we're carrying on a conversation and my boyfriend at the time is commenting on, this is weird, the key's not working. And we kept trying different keys and trying different locks until we realized that we weren't at the right car at all. You were at the wrong car. Completely wrong car. (laughs) We were parked maybe two or three spots down. In retrospect, it wasn't even the same make and model. It was just the same color and size and basic shape. And so this made us think this was our car. At that time, neither one of us looked at the other and said, I think I might be getting Alzheimer's. We were 20 years old. We were just not paying any attention. We were more interested and invested in each other than we were in the car. We were distracted. But I know today... If I walk out into the parking lot, driving one of the most common cars in California that I can see is a blue Camry, and I look over the parking lot to a sea of blue Camrys, and I immediately think there's something wrong with me in having difficulty picking my car out of this myriad of cars. But I never would have gone there before. Yeah, it's interesting how the mind is affected by age or how we allow the mind to be affected by age is like my my right knee is glitchy and what my mind says about that is that it's because i'm 57 years old but the thing is my other knee doesn't give me any problem so i choose not to define it as an age-related problem yeah yeah because is that knee a little bit younger it's been more better treated right but that's a very good point and our mind just takes these things and runs with them doesn't it it does the mind makes a horrible master but it also makes a wonderful servant so I think today we're, we're talking about the mind and its effect on us as we age. So we looked at that concept, or we, I used the word the mind as a bully. And I think this is where we started our concept, that we interpreted these things that we go through in our own heads where we're critical of ourselves. I don't look as I used to, and my body doesn't do the things I used to, and I'm critical internally, maybe not externally, maybe to others I'm very put together and I 
you know, maybe look very competent, but inside I've got some turmoil going that's berating me mm-hmm. for not being the same as I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah, what the, what the Buddhists might call the comparing mind. Yeah, that we're always comparing. I, was, I remember being in a program one time where they said you can't compare your insides to the outsides of others. You know, so we can look mm. on the outside very competent and put together, but on the inside, maybe we're not so competent and put together. And when we have that disturbance between or that difference between our outside and our inside, what do we do? What do we put into that space? Is it self-recrimination? Is it blame? Is it shame? Is it some kind of negative rather than being an acceptance? in acceptance and or even positive. Mm-hmm. So what we decided to do, Mary, didn't we, with, with the common experience we've had of the mind acting as a bully, is we decided to check in with others to see as they age what their mind is up to. That's true, and we found something really interesting because we were looking to support our hypothesis that the mind is a bully that everyone has this degree of negative self-talk around aging that we were experiencing, whether it's around Alzheimer's and dementia or around loss of physical function or loss of physical beauty. And we found something really interesting. And we don't know if it's because of who we spoke to or the ages of the people we spoke to, but we didn't always find that the mind was a bully, but we did find that there were some people who had definite feelings around aging. Yes, I remember one woman in particular telling me it wasn't the thoughts about aging that were bothering her, and this woman was 66, but what it was were feelings, like when she was walking along and she came to a big step, that it was hard for her now to make big steps. And she said what came up were deep feelings of shame. You know, that she's shooting on herself, that she should be able to do this, and she couldn't. So very shameful. I think we do get into those shoulds when we, I mean, I get into it picking up a jar that I can't open the lid on, and I should be able to do that. I shouldn't have to go and get help with this, it's just a jar. And one of my brothers, who's a few years older than me, when he saw me struggling with a jar, he just looked and said, I have a machine for that. And I realized it was that it didn't have, it was just a part of losing kind of the dexterity in the wrist and that there are ways to accommodate for it that weren't shameful at all. He thought it was great. He wanted to show me his gadget that he used for that and how it worked. And he was actually kind of pleased with his new toy. Yeah, there are so many different approaches, and that's a perfect example. Different approaches to what comes up as we age. For instance, aches and pains. You know, many of us are experiencing more aches and pains than we used to, but you know what? Pain does not equal suffering. Hmm. You can have the pain without going into all the mental angst about it. So that's something I've been playing with, and it's very, very interesting. Well, I'm going to have to ask more about that. Maybe not right now because I want to talk about something different. That could be another is, podcast. It could, it could be. <laughs> Stay tuned. But, but I'm thinking of the outward, exp- oh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? The outward appearance of aging. So the ability of stumbling a little bit as you're taking that big step. I have a friend who sometimes needs a cane to walk because of pain in his hip or in his knee but he looks at it as a shameful thing to use the cane because it shows outwardly 
what he's struggling with and what he tries to hide inwardly. I get it. I've been having a little bit of arthritis in my right hand and um, met some new people the other day, including some strong men who would just really grip my hand in a way that hurt. And I realized that I had to ask people to be more gentle. So the next few people I met, I'd stick out my hand and say, gentle, please. And they'd shake my hand gently, but it was shameful. It was shameful for me to be vulnerable like that, to realize uh, and to admit that I couldn't be a normal, youthful kind of person in in this society, right? You know, with the hand thing. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to put ourselves out there vulnerably and to ask for what we need in a way. It is. Um, The theme that came up too in talking to people was around fear. In many of the people we spoke to, they'd had some serious health challenges. It's more common as we age that we're going to come across these, whether it was multiple heart attacks or diagnoses of heart disease. um, Kidney-related problems. Right. Or cancers Mm -hmm. that they had treated and were in remission from or in recovery from. But the fear remained. We were researching that a little bit and realizing that in our 20s, it's not very likely that we're going to die within the next year. As we get into our 40s and 50s, the odds go up. <laughs> you know, And then when we get uh, beyond 80, it's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. And so there is a fear. Maybe the fear, the projected fear is, I'm going to be closer to death <laughs> you know, as I get older. And when I've had those run-ins, those physical challenges with cancers or heart disease or um, anything, any kind of organ challenge, that I have a more visceral relationship and a more real impending end of life. So the fear is there and they fear being a burden. They fear being impacting the people around them. They fear their lack of capacity as they get older. Mm -hmm. And some people respond to that fear with anger. They are angry about the changes in their body and who are you going to rail against time god you know all you can do is look in the mirror one woman i spoke to i love this is she said how did this happen overnight <laughs> you know, she said she looked in the mirror and there are lines and her hair is turned color and her lips that were once kind of a, a highlighted feature of her face were now a little bit thinner and She said it just all of a sudden happened. Mm -hmm. And we know it happens gradually. We know it's not all of a sudden. But the awareness of it is a sudden thing. Yeah, there are certainly shifts. I've seen it in some of my friends where suddenly, it seems suddenly, they look older. You know, just Mm -hmm. some kind of a shift. And so how do we deal with that? You know, and that is the ultimate question. What do we do with the mind? as it's going through that, because that's where the suffering is. Mm -hmm. Is the body maybe in a state of health or in a state of disease, but the suffering is in the mind. The suffering is in our relationship to that state of health or in disease. And this is what came across time and time again. Time and time again, even when we approached random strangers, it came up. Yes, I was so surprised by that. So we approached one couple and we knew that they had been lifetime meditators and they'd spent their life really seeking consciousness. So we weren't too surprised when they talked about acceptance and when they talked about comfort. But then we started talking to strangers 
and having that echoed again and again and again. And I found it interesting that the older the person was, the more they were in acceptance. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And not even accept, not only acceptance, the experience of being something other than this body. Right. So where is the fear of death if it's just basically opening the door and walking out of your car? Right. Yeah. And so one of the people we spoke to had compared death, like our own lives to a plant's passing, that we don't grieve when the plant dies. You know, we know the energy is going into the roots and the plant will come back in the next year. And so we don't mourn the loss of the superficial plant. And I found that to be really interesting because it was a different perspective. So many of us look at there's this unknown beyond death. We may have different religious belief systems that have a different picture for what's on the other side of that door. But until we go through the door, we don't really know what's there. And I think that's where the fear resides, even in people of very strong faiths. Agreed. Yeah, that that fear of the unknown. It's a big one. Although there are many who have experienced death and have come back to talk about it, you know, with all the social media and everything where it's much easier to access people who have had those near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know anybody who says, eh, it's, it's not for me. Wouldn't want to go there again. <laughs> so, but it is the, the, as we get older, certainly the fear, part of the fear is the fear of the unknown. You know, you're leaving on a trip. It seems to be coming closer and closer though you don't know exactly when, and you don't really know what it's going to be like. So the fear of the unknown. Right. Another concept that came up quite often in people we spoke to was this idea of cultivating humor. I remember in one conversation I had, we laughed most of the time, Mm -hmm. uh, being self-reflective of the changes, and she was just kind of an amusement about some of the things. When I would ask a question, say, about had she noticed changes in her physical body, and she was just like, she started laughing and said, I don't think there's a part of my body that hasn't physically changed, you know? (laughs) But she saw it with amusement as opposed to shame, and I think that is another great thing we can cultivate. It's fabulous. I remember talking to an 80-year-old man who was walking with a cane, and he said, yeah, I used to be a relay racer, and then he just cracked up. And that humor, what, what does it give us, Mary? Well, the humor is going to give us an ability to separate in the moment from the pain. It fills that void that would be filled with suffering and shame and sorrow yeah. and loss and grief and all these. I mean, you can't see me, but I'm getting shorter and shorter and shorter as the, <laughs> weight, as the weight of these feelings is pressing on me. And humor lightens us up. Humor opens us up so that we are willing to engage with other people. You ever think about it when you're in a movie theater and something happens and people laugh, everybody laughs and we feel we're having this common Mm. experience. If you watch that same movie at home, it's unlikely that you're going to laugh as fully and as freely as you do when there's others. And I think so we can take it the other way that when we have humor, we feel more connected to the people we're speaking with. Yes. And the other thing about humor is 
to, to laugh at something, particularly something personal like getting older, means that you can step away from it enough to see it from another perspective. So humor gives us great perspective and it is something we can cultivate in our daily lives. It's a wonderful tool that many of the people that we spoke to use. Right, they sought out ways yeah. to find amusement. And to engage. I think that was it too. These people that we talked to were out and about. We weren't going into people's homes. I talked to some people over the internet, so I'm sure they were in their homes. But some people we talked to were just out in the world, whether they were at a gym or a coffee shop or a store, that we were talking to people out in the world where they were actively engaging in the world. And I think that gives perspective as well. Yes. Yeah. If, if we're isolated, often our world can become very small. Yes. Another thing that I found really interesting, almost without fail, and this could have been our target audience, the people that we were speaking to, but almost without fail, these people were meditators. Yes. <laughs> you know, and that was interesting. And meditation takes all different forms. Currently, mindfulness is the, the catchphrase for meditation of the day, and that simply means bringing your mental focus and awareness to now. What is it you're doing? Where are you? You know, take a moment now and just think about that. Where are you right now? What does it smell like? What does it look like? Can you feel your bottom against a chair if you're sitting? You know, just being in the present. Right. And that can be meditation. But there's also guided meditations and other forms, many, many different forms of meditation. What was interesting to me to note was the people that were the lightest around their emotions around aging were those people who identified themselves as meditators. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal how closely correlated happiness and aging is with the practice of meditation. So we started off this this podcast, we our concept for it was we were going to be looking for those negative self-talk. We we're going to look for the mind as a bully. And what we found was people found a way to tame the bully or to win the bully over to their side. <laughs> and to have it change its perspective. Like, what does the science say about meditation was one thing I wanted to know because I tend to be a little bit more scientifically oriented. And we found a wonderful article that was printed up by Forbes and Forbes.com. And we'll give you a link on our website to, and they will link you in the article to all the studies that, that supported this. And these studies weren't done by unheard of schools. It was Harvard and Yale and, and really, very well-respected schools. And what they found was that meditation supported the brain to slow the aging process. Now that's kind of amazing. Cellularly, not anecdotally, but cellularly, it caused the brain to continue to grow regardless of the age. There's a concept that I had in my head for years and years, or a belief, that we reached a certain age and our brain cells died faster than we could replace them. And what they're finding is, yeah, if you don't meditate. <laughs> I thought that was really fascinating. Another concept was it reduced activity in what's called the me center. And you probably know the me center. The me center is that part that keeps picking on you and telling you what to do. And in some meditation practices, they refer to it as the monkey mind which is, you know, if you imagine that you had a little tiny monkey inside your head, that you can't get to be still. It's jumping around, it's screeching, you know, it's just never, never ending motion. Right, and it's, 
what's really gets me is it's never in a happy motion, right? It's never saying, you're great, you're wonderful, keep doing this. You know, I, very quickly, I remember talking to a woman one time and she said she walked by her child's bedroom door and he was playing some game and he was saying, oh, you did a great job there. Good job, me. <laughs> and I thought, why doesn't my brain do that? My brain is much more likely to go, oh, I can't believe you did that again. And that's the me center. That's the me center that's always critical of me, that's always hyper-focused on me. But we know when we're focused on other, we are happier. So one thing meditation they found, what, what they found was meditation reduced activity in the me center. But they found it improved learning and memory by making structural changes in the cerebral cortex. And this is the place where our thought occurs. So now that challenge of Alzheimer's, you are less likely to move towards Alzheimer's from a cellular level when you meditate. That's huge. It is huge. Wow. You know, there's all the supplements on the road you can take or you can sit and be mindful. Let's see, it decreases brain cell volume in the amygdala. Now, the amygdala is the part of your brain that's responsible for fear <laughs> and trepidation. <laughs> worry oh no so what they found was when you decreased brain cell function in this region of the brain you had greater stress tolerance and the people reported that they had less stress that they had mm. less physical and mental emotional effects from the stresses in their lives nice wouldn't that be great yes so you still it gets to that point that the outside is the outside and how you deal with it is going to make your happiness or unhappiness what is that Buddha saying? Misfortune is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yes. And lastly, it helps to reduce addiction and to support attention and focus. When people combined meditation practice with quitting whatever substance sub they were addicted to, they had better ability to stay free of the addiction. And you know, Mary, addiction has a strong correlation with the mind as well the mind going on and on and on about one subject so that makes mm -hmm. total sense right because oftentimes the things we're addicted to we're addicted to because we want to stop the brain in some way we want to redirect it and we don't know how to do that and meditation gives us the tools yeah so that's really interesting that is that explains i mean we at one point interviewing all these people mary and i just looked at each other and said this is crazy because trying to find an older person who didn't meditate was very difficult for us and and the people we meditated although some did cite fears and and worry and feelings of shame it always came down to the joy and the peace and the perspective they got from meditating so we'd like to say the mind can be a bully, but it can also be a great friend and a great ally. And so we're going to finish this podcast by, um, I'm a long-term meditator, 30-some years now of meditating every day. And so I'd like to just lead you through a short meditation. If you're driving and listening to this podcast, you might just want to pause this and um, wait until you, you get somewhere where you can shut your eyes. So I'm going to ask you to just get really comfortable. Sit, lie down, whatever works for you. Close your eyes. Take a couple of slow, deep breaths. 
And this time, let's inhale slowly together. And Mary, I'm going to ask you to do this. And when you exhale, say, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. And once again, slow, deep inhalation. And this time, I don't need to know. I, I don't, don't need, need to know. know. Just sit with that for a moment. Let your shoulders drop down away from your ears and let your body relax. So the more deeply relax, the easier this is. It actually takes no effort at all. Because I'm going to ask you to tune in to your being, your beingness. So not your doingness or your thinkingness, but to go beyond that surface level of motion of waves and ripples and, and to dive down into your actual being, your state of awareness. And so this is a place, if you can visualize, to change analogies, visualize the infinite sky. Because the state of awareness is vast, infinite, and your senses will continue to work. And that's okay, let them work. And your breath will continue to flow, and that's okay, let it flow. And thoughts will come. And so as the infinite sky of awareness, of beingness, let the thoughts be clouds that just blow on by. So rather than investing in the thoughts or even having a relationship with the thoughts, just let them go. So it's a place of rest, of openness. It's a place of allowing whatever there is, whatever's coming up to just be there. But does it disturb your beingness? And so this place, this state of awareness, Look at your body from there. Does being in the form of a body change your infinite beingness? Does having a body that's getting older limit you? The yogis say that this state of awareness is unborn and undying. Feel that. And the more that you can tune in with yourself as the state of being, because it doesn't have to stop when you open your eyes and go on with your life. 
then the happier you are because the more you know who you truly are. And you're welcome to continue on in this state of quiet meditative being or to finish up when you're ready. Oh. And that's us, over and out. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Janae. And I just like to remind everyone, if your mind is a bully, you can tame it. You can bring it on as a friend. Yeah. Win it over. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs>